Hi, everybody. Welcome to my podcast, Tell Me Everything with Susan DeMonte. Having overcome 18 years of almost dying five times from internal bleeding due to Crohn's disease, violent crime, family alcoholism, drug addiction, eating disorders, and tragic death, people are often inspired by my personal story of resilience and overcoming adversity. This podcast is a way to share my stories of winning over myself and encouraging others to do the same. Welcome, I hope you get encouraged and tell me everything. Hello everyone, uh, welcome to Tell Me Everything with Susan DeMonte. Um, I have a very, very, very special guest tonight, my BFF from Theater 40, uh, uh. Um, who is 95 years young and <laughs> such an inspiration to me. She's been through so much and lived so long in spite of uh, many times of her thinking she wasn't going to live. So hopefully we'll hear a lot of her amazing stories in this hour. Um, I'm really excited to uh, be here with with her on this auspicious day, September 11th. That's um, right. That's right. Where you know we're all thinking about that day that was tragic, but I also think it's amazing how much that day has instigated a lot of um, goodness and mm. change in people's hearts. Um, mm. um, tribute to the unity of the United States of America. Um, I think I'll start off by sharing that I, um, you know, in our last episode, you heard about my wonderful head injury that I had got in Las Vegas and was able to very, very, um, swiftly heal from that. Um, I just, uh, this past August, um, a month ago, got um, a mammogram, which came up with calcification in my left breast. And I'm looking at it again as one more health challenge that Susan DeMonte is going to have in her life. And I intend on being victorious and sharing all of my victory with all of you. And so... Let's go. Let's start off um, with Dorothy Sinclair. Um, talk about, you know, your childhood. Tell us, tell us where you were born. Oh. Tell us where, you know, how your life began. She's also an amazing actress. Oh, thank uh, you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, well, it's amazing to me that when I think about my childhood, you ask me it. Can this really go back almost a century, Susie? I mean, it, it's it's just so fascinating and so amazing. I've seen so many changes and lived through so many monumental occasions. Not the least, of course, was 9-11, which we're observing today. But, uh, you know, that was just one of many. I lived through World War II. And um, 
that was um those are memories that uh, stay with me memories um can i talk about that let me talk about that I'm going to talk yeah. about, well, about tell us about where you let's talk about you know where you were born just yeah. like a minute and a half of okay well i was born you... in chicago illinois okay and uh i was a big city girl never lived in a suburb really and uh, we never moved away from chicago um but uh i grew up always feeling a misfit. I know that's a common, <laughs> that's common mm, mm -hmm. among a lot of people, especially artists, but I never really did feel like I was belonged to my family. Mm. I, uh, I, I think I wrote about this. I, I, I felt, who was this? Was I switched at birth? No, I had a brother, uh. an older brother, three and a half years older. And, um, he was, uh, he so fit in with the family. He uh, fit in with the way my mother and my father thought, and I just somehow didn't. Um, so anyway, um, when I was um, four, my brother was three and a half years older, and he, of course he was very smart, very smart. And so he was doing very well in school. My father didn't believe in having kids uh, live far away from their schools where they'd have to walk or be driven in those days, not too many kids were driven to school. So he made sure that we had an apartment right across the street from the school. So my brother <laughs> and my brother always, they had a lunch hour in those days. And my mother always made my lunch for my brother and he always came home for that hour. So uh, one day he came home and, and you started school at exactly five years old was rigid in Chicago. You started kindergarten, then you went to first grade. So one day, and I kind of almost remember it, believe it or not, my brother came home and he said, teacher says that there's room in our class and, and kids. So if we have any brothers or sisters who are going to be five in December or January, that they could start school now. So that was me. I said, whoopee, I could go to real school. Well, <laughs> my, um, my mother was all for that because my mother wasn't really very maternal. She really liked club work and she liked to go to ladies club meetings mm -hmm. and she didn't know what to do with this one little girl who was left at home. So um, she was all for it. So when my father came home from work that night, she told him, and he said, oh, no, 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 Lily, and I don't think so. She's so little, and I was. I've always been short, and <laughs> she's too little for her age, and no, no, she's too young. And so they had an argument about that. Of course, my mother won, and she went out, and um, I was, uh, I guess, registered at schools. The first day of school, my brother was to hold my hand, take me across the street, and take me into kindergarten class. And uh, our teacher's name was Mrs. Major. And it was the middle of the semester. So the kids were all knew each other already. And they knew the teacher and they knew the drill. And I didn't. Mm. So of course, that's, you know, added to this feeling of always being an outsider. Uh, a lot of, and so um, I remember the first day, we all sat around in a circle, and I remember the room, 
and um, I was very nervous, but um, Mrs. Major was very supportive teacher. I still remember she looked like, and she had the kids go round in a circle and say their names. And uh, she started to her left and she went around until finally she got to me. And <laughs> it's, a, it's a horrible memory, but I have relived it so many times. I, I um, It was my turn next. I remember Chucky, Chucky Knee was the one who uh, <laughs> I think was to my right and Chucky incidentally was killed uh, in World War II, but that's getting oh. off the story. And anyway, Chucky or whoever it was said his name, and then it was my turn. Well, I opened my mouth, and what do you think happened? What? Splat. Vomit. <gasps> I had no idea why I was going to do that. <laughs> I wasn't nauseated. I hadn't, you know, eaten anything before. I had no idea. And it's an interesting memory that stays with you, though. Of course, I was <laughs> humiliated, filled with terrible embarrassment. And I do remember this teacher, who was a model teacher, just picked me up, wiped off my face, wiped off the floor, had me come and sit with her, and um, made light of it. And so at three o'clock, promptly, school was always nine to three. My brother came to pick me up, walked me across the street. And um, he said, well, Doe, Doe was my nickname. How'd it go? And I said, please don't tell daddy. <laughs> I threw up. <laughs> so that's a really little oh anecdote that you probably tell. I've told it before, but that is exactly how it happened. And yeah. I don't know if there was an influence over my whole life to come, but it was something I never forgot. And it. So as yeah. you um, had this outsider thing, do you think that's what uh, prompted you to begin no. playing make believe and being an actor? Or did you ever? From the start, did you, um, when did you? Um, I, I didn't connect it with that. What happened was that, um, as you as you could tell from that story, I was already ahead in school. Not because I was brilliant or did anything, it was just the luck of the draw. You know, they had an opening. Uh -huh. And so the next thing I knew, I was in first grade. And already the kids were six months older than I was. Uh -huh. And then the same thing happened. There were there was room for a few kids to move up into the second grade, or it was 1A, I think it was called, so it was the next room. And I was chosen because I was a good reader. And nobody looked in those days and said, well, gee, you know, she was born January 1st, maybe we shouldn't push her ahead. Psychologically, that not be good. Nobody, did, nobody knew psychology in those days. Hmm. So I was pushed ahead. So now I'm a year younger than anyone. Then it happens in the fourth grade. And I can't remember who it was. Some famous comedian now recently said, I'll think about it, Steve Martin or somebody said, he, who, who was it? 
somebody said he's he wants to go back and learn now all the math that he missed from fourth grade and the reading he's never made up for it and that's the way i feel so i was totally a year and a half ahead and which meant that i graduated grammar school we had in those days and um 13 and a half to 14 was the common age that kids would graduate and then go on to high school we didn't have junior high but I was 12 and everybody else was 13 and a half. Okay. And so the girls were all developing and menstruating and I'm still this little kid. <laughs> so yeah, that really did influence my life. Um, I'm not so sure whether, uh, whether psychologically I wanted to be an actress. What did happen was that my mother schlepped me downtown Chicago for dramatic art lessons every week. That's good. And the reason for that was that I really wanted to play the piano because my best girlfriend, Mildred, took piano lessons and was wonderful at it and practiced the piano. Well, my parents couldn't afford a piano and they didn't want to get a piano. And they weren't very musical, at least my mother wasn't. And they mm -hmm. hadn't, and was much cheaper for me to take dramatic art lessons. It was called elocution in those days. And um, my mother thought that that would give me what was called poise. Did you ever hear that? Poise? Yes. <laughs> so that's yes. what happened. And of course, you know, you can't give a little kid dramatic lessons elocution lessons that long and you tell her he's she's good she's bound to come out being stage struck i mean not bound to and though it did take though it did take no and what how was your health when you were a child aside from that first vomiting episode <laughs> <laughs> um well it's an interesting question now that we're in the middle of the COVID vaccine story. And I think everybody should not remember it because they are too young, but know about it. It's been written about. Uh, I remember my brother getting scarlet fever and them coming around to the front door. We live in an apartment and taking a big red sign. I remember what that sign looked like. It was a quarantine sign. It was red and it said he had scarlet fever and they tacked that up on the wall. So in those days, vaccinations were, were kind of rare. Uh, they were just, had just really been discovered and perfected and Kids died of scarlet fever and measles and mumps. Kids I knew, now you asked about my health, I never got them. Mm. I didn't get my brothers. I did get the chicken pox. Mm. And I remember those. And uh, that's why people today who are resistant to giving their kids vaccinations against anything, least of all COVID-19, just floors me so I can't mm -hmm. I can't wrap my head around it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so um, as you now you're 
graduating, let's say, did you go to college? Well, I graduated at 12 and then I went on to high school. Mm -hmm. And so of course, were you popular? Did you, were you homecoming queen or any of those things? Cheerleader? It continues the story of my feeling like an outsider. Uh, I, um, we had, I forget what the word is, division, depending on where you lived was where you went to high school, which I guess is the same as it is today. And unfortunately, uh, my best girlfriend, Mildred, the one who played the piano, Mm. and she's the one who had straight hair. My hair was frizzy and she had long curls. And she was the one who had a bosom when she was only about nine or 10. I never did. <laughs> so Mildred had everything that I was everything that I wasn't and wanted to be. And Mildred was in the boundary that went to something called High Park High School. I couldn't because my family lived south of there and I had to go to South Shore High School, which was a new high school. But I didn't want to go there. I wanted to go to High Park High, where my girlfriend Mildred went, and where all the fast boys and girls <laughs> who were girlfriend and boyfriend had. So I had to go to the um, the wrong high school, and I longed to be in the other high school. And the other high school had sororities and fraternities, high schools, sororities, and fraternities. Mildred said, don't worry. I'll get you into my sorority. We can pledge you to my sorority, which is called the Sophisticates. So she did. She got me in. But there I am with a bunch of kids, older girls, sophisticated girls who already had boyfriends, and I'm not even where I belong geographically. They had sororities in high school? Yes, absolutely. Some were Jewish, some were not. Yes, that was a prelude to um, to college, definitely. And, and you so, practiced the Jewish faith at that point. Well, as well we were always yes born into. Yes, we were. Yes, we lived across the street from our temple, our synagogue, and my father was on the board there. And um, my father had been born in Russia. And he was uh, he didn't have any kind of an accent. He was very Americanized but he was of the old country, Mm -hmm. called it. And uh, he had somehow gotten to Chicago. And uh, before he got there, even when he landed on Ellis Island, he made up his mind that he didn't want to be what was in those days known as a greenhorn. Have you ever heard that expression? I have. What is it? Very insulting expression. It meant people from the old country who spoke with an accent or not at all, didn't learn English. Hmm. And he, I've never known how because I wasn't alive, but he got off that boat and made up his mind he was going to speak English and he was going to speak it without a trace of an accent Hmm. and damned if he didn't. So when he got to Chicago, he only wanted to marry a girl who had been born in America. Uh, Some of the guys who came over with him came with wives or girlfriends. Most of them met their future wives when they got to New York or Chicago or Philadelphia. So that's a story my parents 
my um, father was introduced to this very pretty young woman who already had a job working in an office and uh, 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 spoke English naturally without an accent, any kind of a foreign accent. But uh, unfortunately, <laughs> she, uh, my father just was a lot brighter, a lot brighter than my mother. Mm. And uh, so... Did they fall in love? Uh, I'm not sure whether they <laughs> fell in love. I'm looking back on this and it's guesswork. Mm. Um, I'm not sure whether they fell in love or my father didn't just select her because she filled the bill. And of uh. course, I think she definitely fell in love with him. And so they were married at, um, she was 20 and he was 23, I think. Wow. Mm. And um, these days, that's very young. Well, <laughs> uh, when I was, so that brings me to my story. Yeah. So what, you know, I mean, well, you know, my podcast is about overcoming adversity. And I know that you have overcome a lot of adversity and obviously to the point of being able to live a very long life, as you said. Uh, almost a century, and mm -hmm. I, I absolutely have no doubt that you will definitely make a century, and maybe a few more. Mm -hmm. um, so, <laughs> and I, and after knowing you, I've upped my, you know, my goal of making a century myself. I, I always say so, I want to be like you when I grow up. Oh, thank you, thank you. But so I wanted to, you know, maybe we can hone in on some of the adversity you've gone through and how you were able to overcome and you know what you had to go through and how you were able to uh, use your faith use your um, intelligence use your emotional maturity whatever it is that we're trying to help people on this podcast to help them know that no matter what you face in life you can you can overcome it. You can make a better life. Well, looking back, I feel uh, almost guilty talking about adversities and overcoming adversities because you asked about my health. My health was pretty good. Mm. I avoided, later on, I avoided polio, which, mm. which always scared me. We all grew up being afraid we were going to get polio. That was the worst, the mm -hmm. dreaded. Mm -hmm. And then Joda Salk came along. Yeah. Uh, my uncle, my father's brother, got polio. He walked oh. with a limp. He, one of his legs was shorter was than he, the other. Was uh, he ever in an iron lung? Do you know? I think when he first got sick, I believe. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he, uh, yeah, he lived a pretty long life till I think he was about 80. Yeah, my brother, uh, it's, it's another st long story, but my brother, when he was 13, got very, very ill, and he really lived with that illness for many years. We didn't think he'd ever get over it, and mm -hmm. he lived to be um, 89. But as far as I was concerned, um, I had the usual health scares, and I 
grew up with what I grew up and grew older what with what I term cancer phobia. Mm. I mean, <laughs> you grew up in those days and you didn't say the word, by the way. Mm. It was big C. Mm. The word was verboten. Mm. And if you did get the big C, nobody talked about it. And as I said, so, uh, Susie, I, I feel guilty calling mine a life of adversity. I um, was born within two years of Anne Frank. And uh, I always identified with her later on when the play and the book came out and we began to know who she was after the war. And um, I have always, since I've even written about it, since I know about Anne Frank, I've just felt, you know, it's such a crapshoot. Mm. DNA is such a crapshoot. Mm. How come I wasn't born in Berlin? How come I wasn't born in Warsaw? Mm. I could have been. It was, a, and to tell you the truth, I went to college at 16. You asked about college. Of course, I went to high school at 12. I graduated at 16. And that's a story I will tell you about. But um, when I was in college uh, in 1942 to 46, we Jews had no idea what was going on in Europe. Mm. Absolutely none. I mean, I'm sure some of them did, but it was really, really, the Holocaust was kept a big secret. So if I feel I've overcome adversity, on the other hand, I feel I've been very, very lucky. I've mm. just been fortunate. Mm. Yeah. I always do. I do feel your appreciation and your gratitude. You have, mm. I feel just the essence that you have of just, uh, really? Yeah. I feel you, you walk around with, that kind of well, it's like and... what the hell right have I got to complain about? <laughs> <You know? laughs> I remember I... the other day, when was it? Oh, you came by my house and I introduced you to my friend, and you were like, "I can't believe! I can't believe I'm still alive all these years." Well, I did have cancer phobia. Uh, I had an aunt who was close to me, much closer than my mother, who got breast cancer, died at 49. I knew my life would never be mm. the same. We were very close, but I, I, even before then, um, I, I heard so much about the big C mm. and almost everybody who had the big C died of the big C. Mm. They didn't, you know, medicine wasn't what it is today. Um, so, how, how did that affect you, your mom well, dying of the big C? The, what, the, your mom dying no of the it big... was my aunt my oh, mother aunt. lived and although she died in 74 of the big c almost everybody did i like to i like to tell when i go to doctors now and they examine my heart or uh, i always say no don't bother we don't get heart attacks in my family we just get cancer <laughs> <laughs> so, so um I have, uh, no matter what I got, I like to kid that even if I got a hangnail, it could develop into the big C <laughs> if I didn't watch out. 
And um, go ahead and um, take a sip of your tea. No, it's fine. <laughs> I know you've been kind of putting your hands on that. I just didn't want to put too much noise in the yeah. microphone. Sorry. Okay. That's okay. So um, when you grow up being, as I called it, cancer phobia. Do you think and, you got cancer phobia because of your aunt dying of it? Or you just... I or, think I had it a little bit before then, but yeah. certainly that exacerbated it. And I remember um, doctors didn't help because they seemed to always be looking for it. Uh, they seemed to always be wanting you to have another test or another x-ray to show that it wasn't. Anyway, when I... Um, I did uh, <laughs> a story going back in my life here, if we're going chronologically. So I was at this high school with Mildred and uh, the girls were all dating and they were having way too much sex, <laughs> way, way ahead of the game in those days. And I was uh, naturally, I wanted to keep up with them in every respect. So um, I was 15 and I was still a virgin, which I know even today is, <laughs> I guess, it's, so this is what it was meant as being ahead of my time. So, um, I wasn't very popular. I didn't consider myself very attractive and I didn't really go to the same high school with all these boys and girls who were dating. So it came time for prom. Prom was very big in those days. We had somebody it's called- still big in these days. You know, I had Gene Krupa, the, you, everybody remembers him as a drummer and Artie Shaw played at my high school uh, prom and um, Artie Shaw well, played oh, at yeah. your prom. Oh, yes, wow, oh, yes, and Gene Krupa did the drops. And proms were anyway. Um, awesome. Mildred uh introduced me to a boy who was uh, kind of fat, kind of a loser, who didn't have a date for the prom and asked me to the prom, the High Park High School. And I went to the prom, and he he promptly fell in love with me <laughs> big time. Now, Stan, his name was Stan, and he wasn't too bright. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't an intellectual. This wasn't your first husband? Uh, no. Oh. No, I was 15, and he was 16, about 17, and we were both in senior class. And um, to make a long story short, I lost my virginity with him. At the prom? No. In my mother's bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was madly in love with me. And um, it, it's not, I mean, I can tell it as a funny story, Susie, but I haven't really told the story. Uh, this is really the first time I'm reliving it because um my mother and father went out a lot. They liked to go out and I, they left me alone in the house. I don't remember where my brother was. I think he may have been in college. And um, Stan and I began to make love on, if you could call it that, in my bedroom. And uh, 
one day my period was very late mm. and I became very frightened. Now, mind you, I am under 16. And I left incriminating evidence and my mother found out and of course, all hell broke loose. I mm. remember my mother saying, I remember hearing her say to my father, I don't want to be an illegitimate grandmother. That was <laughs> the phrase she used. So at that point, I was registered at Northwestern University, uh, which was even in those days considered a very good university with a wonderful theater department, as you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, how did I get into that? My grades weren't all that good, but I had to do an audition. And I remember the audition. I had to, did some poetry readings memorized, and they were blown away by my audition, and they admitted me to Northwestern. And I was all set to go to Northwestern. I, my roommate was selected. I had my bedspread picked out, my dorm room, and as a backup, um, I had applied to the University of Wisconsin, and I had been admitted there. So I was just about to go to Northwestern, which which was about a 45-minute or 50-minute auto ride from my house, which was on the south side. Northwestern is on the lake on the north side. Mm -hmm. Well, when this happened with Stan, and this, you know, what hit the fan... It's okay it to say shit. It became evident that I couldn't go to a place. And Stan already had a car because that, you know, he wasn't intellectual, but he was good with mechanics. He already, <laughs> already drove a car. And it was obvious that if I went to Northwestern University, he was going to be there all the time. And so I think it was more or less by mutual consent. I withdrew and was went up to Madison, Wisconsin. And going to Madison, Wisconsin really changed my life. Well, I think I think college is a life-changing experience for everybody, particularly if you go away from home. And uh, the luck of the draw, you know, if I had gone to uh, Northwestern, I maybe could have been a household name, a star by now, because the people who were in that class, many of them did become famous. Instead, mm -hmm. I went to Madison and, um, well, I told you about this aunt of mine who died later. And um, she was a big influence of my life and uh, married, was married to a, a, a guy who had come over from Europe. And they were both very, very progressive, very liberal. My parents weren't, they were very political. And I used to spend evenings at their house, and I was privy to meetings. I don't say Communist Party meetings, but left-wing political meetings. And so I was already indoctrinated into politics a little bit. I was already interested, and I was certainly interested in liberal left-wing politics. And so, as I say, in, in Madison, I discovered boys, and I discovered politics mm -hmm. and they didn't have a theatrical department then they do now but they didn't in those days they had a beautiful theater and they had a 
it was sort of connected with the English department and they did do plays, but it was not known as Northwestern was as a drama school. So the plan was that I would go to, to um, Madison, Wisconsin for two years and then I would transfer to Goodman Theater School, which was in Chicago, which is still famous. Yes. Well, that didn't work out either because I became so involved with politics and so involved with guys and met another guy from St. Louis who changed my life. So I never did leave Madison. I never did um, go again to a, I never studied theater that seriously as I had intended to. So it was life changing. That's kind of a rough outline of my life. You get the idea. <laughs> yeah, very interesting. Yeah. And so you, we, we know. Is it okay? You know, we, you've had three marriages. Uh, yes. Well, two, two, and one long boyfriend. <laughs> uh, yes, and one long-term relationship. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And um, and then I also wanted to, you know, um, you know, talk about those those marriages and. I feel like, I don't know, I'm going to put words in your mouth that you grew through each one of them. Um, and then also I wanted to share with the audience about your illness that you got with your, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. your thyroid and your, mm -hmm. and how, I mean, it's well, pretty, yeah, those things that you, yeah, even though you don't want to look at those as things you overcame in my eyes, I think it's pretty incredible yeah that that was certainly the biggest turning point in my life medically um and uh not to bypass my romance <laughs> my big my big romance really came up when i was at madison uh my college roommate was from st louis one of them and she eloped with a fabulous artist who, as she said, has a younger brother. And I became involved with him. His name was Jay Landisman. And that's a rather prestigious family name now, Landisman's. And um, I began to uh, travel in the middle of the night on trains or puddle jumpers and going from Madison, Wisconsin to St. Louis. All, of course, not without my parents knowing or knowledge or blessings. So I did want to bring that up. That unfortunately did not result in a marriage, but it was a life-changing relationship. And to this day remains so in that I am still in touch with his nephews. And, and uh, huh. Was that and, your first love it was your my, first big love it was my first big love yes yeah. so it was it was life-changing yeah so so i just wanted to go to, and what was the other thing you had oh about our, what we are now cancer or something else <laughs> <laughs> the big c <laughs> uh, no what was what was the question well i just it's, i wanted to you know talk about just briefly um we have about 20 minutes left oh, so um about your marriages and how you because I think, you know, part of this is that I have, I mean, all three of my my uh, episodes so far are women. I, I'm not planning it that way. I hope to have men also mm -hmm. be sharing. Mm -hmm. But um, 
I just feel like you, uh, you have lived a life of freedom as a woman or as independence. No, as a, it seems or, that way, but that is the adversity that I had overcome, Susie. Yeah. I, it was, uh, so your first marriage was to a doctor. My marriage wouldn't have been at, at all, except that in those days, and especially in the Jewish social circle that my mother was traveling in, but oh, you know, they weren't artistic circles, my parents. They, they weren't the kind who, uh, you know, said, well, she can go become a ballerina and get married 10 years later. It wasn't that mm. at all. It, and especially with my background and with their knowledge that they might become, quote, illegitimate grandparents, all they wanted was for me to get married mm. and have kids. Mm. And the worst thing that happened and the real adversity, I guess, was World War II. Hmm. Now, at that point, and I'm still at college because I started when I was 16, some of the girls that I graduated high school with hadn't gone, didn't go away to school at all. So what they were doing was dating and getting involved with guys and the guys were going overseas. And many times they would leave these women pregnant mm. when they went overseas. And so then it became the fashion for these girls to start having babies when they were 18. And my mother's girlfriends were, ha were becoming grandmothers at a very young age, but that was okay because they were married. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So it became the fashion, and I'm not sure whether it was only in Jewish society. I don't think so. Uh, women, people were getting married younger and younger, and possibly a par partially because the guys were going overseas. They didn't know what would happen when they got back, and they wanted to have a wife before they left. So I was terribly pressured to get married. And my relationships, my going and living in New York, my living in St. Louis for a while, they all meant nothing mm. to my family. Mm. My achievements meant nothing. My getting a part in a play meant nothing. My, um, I did become, I did start doing some radio work when I went back to Chicago, which I did have to go because <laughs> living in New York as a single woman was just impossible in those days unless you had uh, financial backing. There were no apartments. I was considered a very wicked woman by at the age of, you know, 19, 20, 21, living alone in New York. Mm. So I ended up going back to Chicago and um, get trying to get a job and doing some theater and doing some agitprop theater, which was left-wing. I don't know if you know what agitprop is. No. Me, I'll tell you. But I did do that. And um, nothing. And then I had an affair with a very, very well-known, very famous musician, a violinist. 
who uh, I don't have to name names, but uh, one of the world, first class world violinist and oh. uh, uh, my mother was just horrified, horrified instead of being at all proud. And I remember her saying, he'll never marry you, you know. He'll never marry you. So it was that was the only thing that mattered. Mm. It wasn't who you know or who you dated or mm. who you slept with or who you enjoyed or who you, it This was, was in Chicago or New was, York? I had to go back to okay, Chicago. Gotcha. This was I didn't stay in New York that long because okay. I couldn't. Mm. I I didn't make a success on Broadway and mm. I didn't have the wherewithal to stay there and apartments in those days were just impossible to find to get mm. that. so um sounds familiar yeah it was was worse then than ever worse so um anyway mr violinist well well mr violinist will never marry you you know so that was a self-fulfilling prophecy i broke up with him or he broke up with me after my telling him i was pregnant <laughs> that's another story men um didn't accept responsibility for pregnancies in those days it was um if you told a guy you were pregnant the uh, usual reaction was uh, uh, it's not my fault mm. oh i should more careful so that was an adversity wow. and um when i uh finally met a guy who was um I thought very appropriate, uh, 11 years, 10 years older than I, but very appropriate and uh, just finishing medical school. And he had an internship lined up in Brooklyn, New York. This was in Chicago. And he didn't want to go. Since he was 35, I was 24, he felt it was time for him to get married. He had had a short-lived marriage in the army, but he he felt I, I he didn't want to go to New York single and start dating because he was aware that he would be very busy doing an internship. So he proposed. Okay. And we got married within a month. Hmm. And I became a doctor's wife. And... Um, on the way to um, New York in the car that my father had brought for us, the first car off the assembly line after the war. Um, on the way to New York, he, um, I, uh, I said to him, gee, uh, we're going to be living in Brooklyn. And uh, maybe I could go into Manhattan and do some auditions. Cause, and he put the brakes on the car, turned to me and said, wait a minute, you told me you were through with all that. I thought you wanted to have a family right away. I thought that was all behind you. And what did you think at that I time? I kind of bit my tongue and put my hands behind my me, my back and crossed my fingers and said, oh yeah, honey, you're right. I did say that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we got to New York, we got to Brooklyn, and uh, before you knew it, I was pregnant. 
And before you knew it, 14 months later, I was pregnant with it. I had number two. So that's, uh, that determined the outcome of my life, having two kids close to par, uh, close together and being very young. And we decided to move to, um, to LA when he uh, was finished with his internship. And uh, then adversity really began, but I think we need another hour or two for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, how did that break up? Well, that was the classical um, story. I realized much, much later of the um, doctor being away, it didn't break up right away. It was actually a, a wonderful relationship for a long time. And I think he was very, I think we were both very in love. And so I don't want, I, I always say to my kids, you know, I don't want to dispel that. I don't, yeah, I don't want to yeah. sell that short because we were. Yeah. But it, uh, it didn't last too long because of me too. He began uh. his other affairs. And uh, it ended with uh, his asking me for a divorce, which really, really broke my heart. I was really, really upset. So because how did you? How did I? How overcome? did you? Yeah. How did you overcome that? And what? Yeah, well, how did you? Now you I have two know, children that are small. Yeah, I um, went back to school when the kids were about seven and eight. And I decided to go to UCLA if I could get in. And now I decided I would study theater more seriously and maybe get a job teaching theater. <laughs> and uh, so I did. I left the kids in school with an after school sitter and I went and commuted and got a master's degree. Well, then I found out there were no jobs, teaching jobs in, for drama in L.A. Yes, there were a few jobs, but they were taken by name actors and actresses who wanted to teach you their spare time or the wife of a... And so I didn't have a chance of getting one of those jobs. Uh, the only job I could have gotten teaching would have been out out of town, not in, in the LA environment. So um, I was offered a job at um, downtown at the Music Center, which was just being built at the Mark Taper Forum. And I turned that down because it wasn't, had nothing really to do with acting. And by that time, I was getting back into acting. And I had joined a theater company and so forth. And so here I am. Um, one theater company led to another theater company, led to um, a better theater company, and led to some really plum roles on stage. I began to work on my, I don't want to call it career, but my, my first love, I guess you could call it. And so it wasn't really until my kids were I guess I was over 35 when I became, a, what I call now a serious actress. 
what I was when I met you. Ah, great. Yeah. And so how did you take care of yourself when your doctor husband divorced you? It was a tough time. A very tough time. Um, I, um, well, I guess I had enough income that I um, rented an apartment from a, um, a well-known actress who hadn't gotten this from her divorce. Mm-hmm. And that was at Westwood. And then I lived there two years. And um, now we're, we're getting more into real estate than how I took care of myself. <laughs> <laughs> but at that time, uh, something came along called condominiums. And uh, is that when you and after two years of living above an alcoholic ex actress who snored all night, I decided yes that I would I should go and buy my own um, and I bought a condominium and uh, I have lived in that condominium for 45 years now. Amazing. And um, while I was there as a single woman, uh, I had an absolutely wonderful time. I uh, I got a job in the William Morris That's theatrical right. agency. I uh, didn't become an agent, but I did become, uh, I did have a good job there, and I met a lot of interesting people, and uh, particularly writers, a lot of writers, and I began to entertain as a single woman. And uh, and this is interesting. So if we've got time, I will include this. Yes, please do. Well, what happened was I had a really good 10 years. I My kids now were old enough that they were in Europe themselves or studying out of time. In other words, I was free. And... Um, this bell kept going off in my head. My mother's voice kept going off saying, but you should be married. You should be married. You should be married. You shouldn't be single. You shouldn't be living alone. You should be, and it was just this tape playing in my head. Mm. Nobody was telling me I had to be. I told myself. So without going into detail, I met a man who I knew was terribly wrong for me. Mm. We were, I was not in love with him. And uh, the men that I would have married along that way were either married already or not interested in me. And this guy was a recent widower and pursued me. Mm. And he was Jewish and he was age appropriate and that tape kept playing in my head and when I went to the altar with him I I went knowing it wasn't going to mm. be forever and so it was it was a very kind of a cruel thing for me to do to him and myself mm. and it didn't you know it was self-fulfilling prof- yes. uh, prophecy yeah. it lasted about eight nine years Eight or nine years, wow. Well, not too happily, though. Uh, mm-hmm. And did you leave or did he? 
I, I asked him for a divorce. Yeah, well, it was it was bad by that time. <laughs> what was bad about it? Was it abusive or just? We weren't ever really on the same wavelength. I just never loved him, and he had a lot mm. of problems. I don't want to put all the blame on him, mm. but he had a lot of emotional problems. It was not a good relationship, mm. and so. If there's any advice I can give, if I can leave this with advice for young women or older women, it's not to settle, not to feel you can't live alone because you can, mm. not to feel you have to be married. But I don't know if any, 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 do any young women feel that way? Yes, I guess they do. Yeah. I have two granddaughters and yeah, they're, both want to be married. Yeah. Well, I'm going to suggest something. What? I think we have to do part two. <laughs> uh, audience, uh, we're at uh, 56 minutes at the moment. And I have so many more questions to ask Dorothy. So we're going to end this episode and start a new one. So please come back for part two of Dorothy Sinclair's Amazing Life. Um, yeah, there's a lot I still have to ask. So thank you all for joining. Um, and tell me everything with Susan DeMonte. Stay tuned for the next segment of Dorothy. Thanks, everybody. This has been Tell Me Everything with Susan DeMonte. This podcast was produced by me, Susan, of Out Our Way Productions, with support from consulting producer Maggie Politi and developed with Ashley Kate Adams of BYOP, Be Your Own Producer, editing by Graham Bryant. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review if you enjoyed our time together today. If you have any stories of overcoming adversity, please use the contact page on my website, susandemonte.com. We would love to hear from you. See you next time.